1: Still no sign of the football coming back, but we're still continuing to press forward with Blue Moon Podcasts, and there's still no signs of us scraping the bottom of the barrel for ideas. Check back in a few weeks' time, though, for an update on this, and we'll see how we're doing then. On this week's show, we're going to be talking about Manchester City stats that you didn't know you needed to know. More on why shortly. We'll also be dipping back into our archive of interviews to hear from former City striker Paul Molden, and we've got a different take on Ask the Panel for this week, all for good reason as well. All will become clear. I'm David Mooney, and I'm joined by Statistician and all-round Twitter hero. Oh, Duncan Alexander. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, good, I think. Yeah. How are you? I'm not too bad. I've, I'm i in a weird position this week where if, if people who follow me on Twitter and uh, might have seen that I've been self-isolating this week because I, mm. uh, I developed symptoms. Uh, I developed a cough, basically. Um, and I've had no other symptoms. So now I'm in that weird position of not knowing whether I've had the coronavirus or whether I've just had a really badly timed cough. And I might yeah. have just spent seven days inside for no reason. but uh, you know, better safe than sorry. That's uh, that's all I can say.
2: Well, you've done the the sensible thing, so that's good.
1: Yeah. So, uh, but I'm I'm feeling better now, and we're here to talk about uh, City and City uh, stats. So, but I mean, first off, Duncan, look, just talk me through what it is that 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 you do, because what I see from your job is that you sit on Twitter making funny statements all day.
2: <laughs> well, that's partly it, I guess. Um, yeah, I work for Opta, who are part of a bigger organization uh, called Stats Perform, who are the sort of leading sports tech and, and data company in the world. Um, kind of merger of, of two companies in 2019, essentially company called stats who are the biggest uh, data providers in the u.s and uh, perform who were up to a part of who were the, kind of the same in europe so kind of amalgamated now um and yeah we you know we work with all the broadcasters around the world we work with um you know the betting industry we work with most professional clubs as well so we've been working with with city for a long time um you know they've been one of the the pioneers of using data really um so it's yeah my job can vary from you know social media stuff i guess the stuff you've seen through to you know doing stuff for for brands doing stuff with you know with broadcasters and you know with the premier league and, and things like that so yeah it's kind of i mean the, the ethos essentially is to turn numbers and, and data into stories because it's all very well having a load of numbers on a on a piece of paper or a computer screen but really no one you know, no one really cares about that. It's about turning it into stuff that that people are talking about. So it's a, it's about finding that unusual and different angles on on stuff that's happening in football, and you know, hopefully, giving people an alternative take on stuff.
1: What I mean, what in terms of of, of your role and, and your your kind of position, you you, you come up. I, I assume you save the the kind of more off the wall stuff for your personal side of of Twitter, and the the to Joe stuff is a bit more of the uh, of, of the ones that that might be of general interest
2: yeah pretty much i mean we when we started up to Joe in two thousand and nine you know we had quite a lot of pushback from from commercial people within the company because they were they were sort of like, Well, why would you give away free content to to when you know when we want people to pay for it? but I think what Twitter does is it allows you to have a conversation with ordinary fans and it also allows you to see what people like and we've also found that a lot of our customers basically use it as a kind of ideas generation thing um, so so, yeah, I mean, Opta Joe, I guess, does uh, more, inverted commas, mainstream stats. I mean, I, I just think of weird stuff and stick it on, on my own Twitter, and I guess that, that kind of got a life of its own like that, really. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, um, we've obviously got editorial teams in, in most territories around the world, so they'll all be concentrating on their own leagues and their own kind of players and stuff.
1: Now, tell me, be honest with me now, um, when I send you th- these daft things to look up, uh, how, mm. how long does it take?
2: Well, pay you sent me quite a long list. To be fair, David, but, um, <laughs> so that, that actually took a couple of hours. But yeah, I mean, I often get accused. I'll put something out on Twitter, um, and some, um, I'll get accused of all. Oh, you obviously got too much time on your hands, or you know, why on earth did you spend ages looking that? But generally, it, unless something takes less than ten minutes to to look up, I won't. I won't do it because you know, is it the only time. I, well, a few times I can remember doing longer. But I remember someone once asked me whether there were more red cards on full moon days in Premier League history than than not obviously you know lunatics blah 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 but so I thought well I'll look this up but then didn't realise that I'd have to basically manually enter every day of a, of a full moon from 1992 onwards and it, that took ages but luckily it, it worked out okay because there are more red cards when there's a full moon so and
1: if could you would you have been
2: heartbroken if there wasn't yeah because uh it's <laughs> there's a lot of full moons. But there's also a lot of websites that show full moon data. I like, surely you only need one, really.
1: But <laughs> lots. Um, You're a Wickham fan as well. Um, you you never you never cease to delight in telling me that that Wickham were the only team to beat City home and away in 98-99 which is the season I've made my uh, kind of the one that I always go to. Um, so I'm, I'm going to let you uh, let, let you lord it over over <laughs> City for a bit there.
2: Yeah, um I remember it well. I, I went to both games. I remember the the game at Adams Park in the autumn, uh you dominated we kinda of snuck a a one 0 The thing I remember that game was that um about that game was uh, Liam, Noel uh Neil and Noel Gallagher were there and Goldie. Because obviously I think Noel Noel lives in Chalfont St Peter. I don't know if he still does, but which is basically only about eight or nine miles from Wickham. So it was a, a semi home game for him. But um so yeah, that was my abiding memory from that match. And then the the reverse game at Main Road in April, we were in, you know, we were in the midst of a, an incredible escape from from relegation, um, and we won that game and we played really well for about I don't know, first half an hour, went two 0 up, City pulled one back, and then basically the second mm-hmm. half was just one way traffic, and uh, yeah, I think that game pretty much guaranteed you were going to be in the playoffs rather than automatic or certainly kind of hinted that way and, and it's fair to say City fans were not happy
1: at the end of the match. I
2: uh, have
1: a, I have quite a strong memory of that game, Um being sat in Main Road and hearing uh the City fans sing to the Wickham fans, uh, going down, going down, going down and immediately you lot snapped back with staying down, staying down, staying down <laughs> and we just, uh, I, it's quite nice that both of us met our objectives in the end that season though. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of stats, I mean, I can't ask you this without because uh, Wickham are one of the few teams that have a better record against City than City have against them. Uh, there must be mm. a fair number in the Premier League. I'm thinking like Liverpool. City have not beaten Liverpool in, in Donkey's years at, at Anfield, so there the, the must be um, Liverpool must be up there. I think United must still be up there. But are there, are there many?
2: Yeah, I had a look. I mean, perhaps unsurprisingly, you've got Arsenal, you've got Chelsea, you've got Liverpool, you've got United. So the the old big four have all still won more uh, Premier League games than they've lost against City. There's, there's a few kind of left-field options. Leeds are in there, I guess, given that when Leeds were in the Premier League, they were generally better than City, I guess. Um, Middlesbrough, Spurs, which is surprised me a little bit
1: uh, no, Spurs Spurs spent the entirety of the Noughties winning 2-1 uh, Jermaine <laughs> Defoe scored every single goal for them I don't understand how he wasn't, wasn't even playing for them for some of those years Yeah, um,
2: and then maybe a few more left field options, Blackburn Coventry, uh, Nottingham Forest and Wimbledon so you're not going to play Wimbledon again for a while in the league but um. Um, yeah they, they obviously dominated in the 90s with their hostile football yeah, uh,
1: those uh, I was going to say those were the days but they really weren't, were they? <laughs> uh, right, so we're going to move on. We're going to get some more City stats uh, and, and, and kind of numbers discussion a little bit later on but first uh, we heard on Monday that City will be taking the final direct debit payment for season tickets this month despite there being no football until at least April the 30th. That means all direct debit payments will have been taken including for March and April despite the last home game taking place on the 19th of February. The last weekend home Premier League game for City was on Saturday the 18th of of january two and a half months ago i've been speaking to city fan and season ticket holder bob tool to get his
3: reaction if the games were going ahead i wouldn't have a problem with paying it but obviously they're not going ahead and the world has changed an awful lot in the last month so in my personal circumstance i would rather have the money uh, like my wife is currently on maternity pay which isn't a great amount so our collective income is a lot less than it ordinarily is but um Part of the reason I also contacted the club to get some clarity on it was because I know there'll be lots of other people with season tickets that won't be okay as a consequence of having this money taken out. Can you understand why the club have decided to take the payment, given that I mean there's definitely no football until at least the thirtieth of april um no i I mean I do struggle to understand why um I understand that I'm not the only season ticket holder that would has asked the club similar questions as I've asked them so they obviously must know there's an issue whereby people are struggling for money the world has changed an awful lot since uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and in a context where mortgage holidays are a thing it's tangible and people were knocking the door down to get an answer from them and they've just chosen to ignore it so on that basis I don't understand why they think it's okay Um, at the very least they could have given supporters an option to defer the payment until they know a bit more about when the games are going to resume or just make a blanket decision to just delay them for everyone i mean that would have been my preference but just continue as normal and i think they actually in my messages with them when they responded they said we're going to continue as normal which just seems bizarre given the whole world is not continuing as normal so yeah i really failed to understand their logic behind it to be honest.
1: There'll be a lot of people who are who are listening to this who would say, Well, I've I've paid my season ticket money up front, so I've I've paid out for the entire season and you know I'll get a refund for that if, if things don't get played or things are played behind closed
3: doors. So why why shouldn't you be the same? Yeah, I mean I think that's a it's a fair point, but obviously when people sign up to pay a direct debit, they do it to spread the cost across the season, which is entirely fair enough. I mean mo- most people either get a monthly salary or a a weekly salary so that makes financial sense but it's such a unique situation that we find ourselves in as a society that if there is an option to have a little bit extra money in your pocket like for something like football which has come to a standstill I don't see why that should affect those people I mean they should just be a if they want to have that extra 60 or 80 pounds or however much it is for their their monthly direct debit and it's fine saying that they'll get a refund eventually and i'm sure every supporter will get a refund if games are cancelled or played behind closed doors but yeah i think um if the money's there and the club are just taking it for no good reason i think that's really unfair
1: just looking at uh, city sent out an email um, on a Tuesday this week, so the day before most people were uh, were going to be taking the or, or having the direct debit payment taken. Um, it says, uh, basically says, in such challenging times, we want you to let you know what we're doing at Manchester City to, to keep you connected. Uh, the support of services and access teams remain available for you to call whenever you have a direct question or simply wish to reach out and have someone to talk to. Anytime between 9am and 5pm on weekdays, 10 till 5 on Thursdays, we will here for you. Uh, we'll also be available to chat on social media at Man City Help. Now, that, that was the account that you were speaking to, was it?
3: Yes. Yeah, so that email came out, I think, at about 8.30 on the evening so about three and a half hours before the direct debit would have come out of my account so if they think that's an acceptable way of communicating with the supporters when they know this has been an issue for supporters because supporters have been contacting them i think that really stinks because there's no opportunity for someone like myself or other supporters to actually speak to them about it until it's too late the money's already out of their account so we as supporters are on the back foot from the offset i would imagine some supporters would have been contacting the club today and they're in that situation where they're trying to get some money back. In all likelihood, I can't imagine they will because the club haven't changed their stance at all. And Brighton are one of the few clubs that have deferred payment. And City's message to me said they 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 sort of referred to the, the higher football authorities as, and they were sort of shifting accountability a bit. And I, I mean, if Brighton can do it, I don't see why City couldn't have done it
1: yeah i mean the the other thing is as well is it it 's kind of at odds at how El city have behaved throughout the covid nineteen pandemic as well when you consider the news stories about them. Uh, you know, letting the or, or using the Etihad for for NHS staff and for 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 whatever they need to to to, to use the space there. Uh, they've made uh, quite a sizeable donation to the to the MCFC fans food bank uh, initiative that they work with the United Food Bank to to support the food banks in Manchester. And yet, something like this is happening. So, how, how does it make you feel when you see that that kind of going at
3: odds with everything else? Um, I it suggests to me that there's no real sort of linked up thinking in the hierarchy of the club about it, it seems to be quite reactive Uh, from what I understand the food bank donation, which was a huge amount. And I think they um, linked up with the United to do that, which is great. But I think it came after a bit of pressure to do something. So although they have ended up doing good things, it doesn't seem like it's come from the club initially. It's come from outside pressure to do something. So it strikes me as a kind of they just react to stuff and there's no i mean they'll get away with whatever they can unless they're pressured to do so basically, which I know sounds very cynical, but that's how I perceive it, and I suspect I'm probably not the only fan that feels that way to be honest just finally bob what
1: what would you like to see happen now? I mean even if it's a case of refunding the last direct debit payment and then you paying it again later down the line if the games go ahead would that would that be an option?
3: Yeah, I think that would be good. Um, I think some clearer communication, given, like I alluded to earlier, giving fans the option. So with this um, April direct debit payments, I mean, some supporters pay on the 15th, I believe. I I personally pay on the first of the month. So for the fans that haven't yet paid on the 15th, give them the option to defer it um, if they want to, and then maybe work back to the people that have already paid it on the first and give them the option going forward like if this issue is gonna affect the beginning of the new season in August or whenever it may start some clearer communication from the outset so fans feel involved in (laughs) what's gonna happen with their money basically
0: Support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Bob Tool speaking to me there. Now, uh, Duncan, we can't let you go uh, without taking part in our Toilet Roll Challenge. We've we've started this um, to to basically to to pass a bit of the time on the show. Um, It's a simple... uh, You've got one shot of how many kick-ups you can do with a Toilet Roll. First off, are you any good at at, at kind of kick-ups and tricks and stuff with a football?
2: I'm all right, yeah. I mean, I, I think I can easily do, you know... 40-50 40-50 with a football, yeah, but um, toilet rolls are a, a different different uh, thing, isn't it? Yeah. Fish, yeah. Um,
1: now I top of the leaderboard so far is Richard Burns. He scored eight last week. Uh, second on the leaderboard, or as some people might say, last uh, is me. I'm on three. Uh, so you've not got a great benchmark to aim for. Um, but are you ready? Yeah, yeah. Let me just go and
2: Oops. get. Well, how are we
1: going to verify this? Uh, you just have to count out loud. <laughs> All, right.
2: All right. Okay. One, two, three, four. Four, I think. Four. Okay, so yeah. you've
1: you've moved into second place. Uh, well done, um, Richard. Will be delighted that his record is still uh, is still leading the way. I've been bumped down into the bronze medal position. Um, <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll we'll find out uh, in future shows if I manage to cling on to that before the season arrives. Basically, we need the season to come back as soon as possible for me to get any sort of a, 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 of honour for this.
2: Yeah, I think you know if you'd have said to someone in November bye... But March, April, people will be doing uh, keepy ups with toilet
1: rolls. Um, they'd have been like, "What?" But yeah, here we are. It's what we've been driven to. Uh, I can't <laughs> believe it. Now uh, we're we're going to talk city stats. So um, uh, this is the bit of the show that I'm a I'm a little bit nervous about, Duncan, because I'm just going to go over to you. What what do I need to know about city that I didn't know that I needed to know?
2: Yeah, you left this one open to me, so I kind of just you know had a look through my uh, my extensive archive. So uh, a few that leapt out for me. Um, 2017-18 City had more goals after six games than Derby had in the whole of Um, (laughs) 2007-08 how many was that? (laughs) uh, 21 from City 20 Derby had that whole season That, that Derby team is an excellent benchmark for anything you want to do um so yeah, so that was quite nice. Yeah, that, um, so that was
1: that was seventeen, eighteen for City, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, um, so obviously
2: the the peak season, I guess. Yeah, so that
1: that'd have been that'd have been the time they were beating Palace and Stoke, and I think they put eight past Stoke, did they? And uh, was it six, yeah. five six past Palace and possibly six past Watford as well? I mean, Watford must be um, must be sick of the sight of City. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: a few others. There was one that obviously. Was waiting to see how it panned out this spring, but uh, might happen, might not. Is the fact that Pep Guardiola's last win in a Champions League quarter final or semi final away game, so playing one of those you know legs away from home, uh, was in 2011, and when Phil Foden was at junior school.
1: Kind of puts it <laughs> into perspective. How do you do? You you do this a lot, where you kind of set a benchmark that is an arbitrary. Um, other thing, like the same time that a video game came out or a film was on the cinema. Yeah,
2: I just, I honestly, I it's it's you could argue it's slightly pointless, but also I think it kind of it it kind of anchors the fact a bit more than just saying a year, um, because people remember stuff. They don't necessarily a year is just a number. So I mean, a classic one for that, I remember, a few seasons ago, Chelsea won four two for two games in a row, and I thought to myself must be fairly unusual that a team wins 4-2 in consecutive matches so I had a look the last time it happened and it was like 1905 so yeah that's quite rare but if you could have said it's the first time it's since 1905 perfectly valid but then if you look for something different you know that happened around that time it gives it a little bit more hopefully interest so it worked out it was the first time uh, Chelsea had done it um, since the invention of plastic which you know, <laughs> immediately people are like what? so yeah I mean it's the same as I've got one here, I was about to go on to, but Aguero, um, you know, has got eighteen Premier League goals with his head, which is reasonable. Um, but the fact that he's an inch and a half shorter than Taylor Swift, uh <laughs> just just gives it a little bit more context. You know, you don't imagine you can't imagine Taylor Swift, you know, powering in a header past, you know, Allison, but you know, Aguero might. So I was going to say, into,
1: if you just if you were to just uh, say that, oh, Aguero is you know is, is one meter is one point seven meters tall, you would go, well, that doesn't mean yeah. anything to me.
2: Exactly, half the people won't even know what that means, and half the people will be like, you know, shrug. So yeah, it's it's, it's trying to make stuff interesting, really. I mean, um, and again, you can do stuff. I got one here about Phil Foden scored more European Cup goals than Diego Maradona, which I remember tweeting out and. And someone going, replying saying, what, are you saying Phil Foden is better than Maradona? And I was like, clearly <laughs> not. Like, you know, I'm just saying it's a bit of a quirk. And they're like, yeah, that's because there's more, uh, you know, Champions League games now. It's like, yes, that is true. That is that is essentially the point. But, you know, it doesn't change the fact that, that Maradona only ever played six games and scored two goals in the European Cup. Rubbish, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, (laughs) Um, there's one I I did. I did one similar uh, at the start of the season. I can't remember uh, exactly the number, um, but it was it was something like uh, since the last time that City won home and away in a season against Liverpool, um, Great Britain has had three different monarchs, (laughs) which just uh, absolutely ridiculous. Uh,
2: What else we got? We got talking to Aguero. He's the second highest scorer in Premier League history with his week of foot, which is something I quite like. Who's who's the highest? Van Persie. So Van Persie, who ironically kind of coined the phrase "chocolate leg," you know, every time he scored with his right foot, he would call it with his chocolate leg. I don't know if that's a particularly Dutch thing. It doesn't you know? Don't really get the significance. But anyway, he's got 39. Aguero's got 34 with his left. So, you know, assuming football does return at some point and he does his final
1: year, um, he's got a chance of uh topping that list as well. Yeah. I mean that that is some great marketing done by Van Persie there though.
2: Yeah, well, he kind of you know, he kind of marketed this idea that he wasn't very good with his right foot, possibly so defenders would show him onto his right foot and he was, you know, remarkably good. So uh so that's one no it's not all good for Guerra because he's uh he's got fewer Premier League goals at Anfield than Titus Bramble, which is something
1: I'm <laughs> sure he'd like to change. Uh Titus Bramble, um I, the only thing I remember from Titus Bramble is he he's, he made the error for Giovanni to score uh, when he played for Wigan um, Sven, uh, back on the Sven season again. Um, and City scored after about 10-12 seconds again. Um, Wigan yeah. kicked off, knocked it back. I think City's first touch was Giovanni dispossessing Titus Bramble to roll it in the bottom corner. Huh. I mean, if you're going to narrow... Football down by Titus Bramwelleros. It's not. We're you
2: know, going to struggle, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> there's quicker ways to do it, but yeah, you know, at least he's called Anfield. Um, and then the final one, which I really love, and I've used this a few times, but is the fact that city legend Pablo Zabaleta since he moved to Europe um, from South America, has only ever played for teams based in converted athletic stadiums. Um, <laughs> so he played for Espanol when they were at the old Olympic stadium in Barcelona. They've obviously moved since then he moved to city obviously you know commonwealth games yep. icons and then and then joined west ham so he just loves a lot of space between the touchline and, and, uh, and the dugout yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: can i can i tell you something now i was uh, i um, was one of the people that was on the city of manchester stadium pitch uh, before any city player um, oh, because what? i uh, i was in the i was in the 2002 commonwealth games opening ceremony Oh really? I was I was one of the school kids who was um one of the dancers that ran out at the start uh, <laughs> and nice. I have I've never been able to dance and I, <laughs> I I I think I I was wearing a bright pink jumper with a yellow t-shirt that had been cut down the sides so that it would fit over the top and I think bright red shorts and I okay. can still still to this day can remember the dance routine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I can't say the the Commonwealth Games opening ceremony springs to mind, but um <laughs> you know they're a thing, aren't they?
1: So. Yeah, uh, it's, I am. I'm on YouTube. Uh, I am in it on YouTube. You can see my head bobbing up and down behind the stage as, uh, <laughs> as uh, I think it was. Um I can't remember who performed. I think it was S Club Seven that performed. Um, as some of them were performing on the stage. Yeah, it's it's properly uh, early noughties kind of. It looks like it's from the early noughties. They've CGI screens as well over the east and west end. Uh, they just put these massive CGI screens to show what was uh, to show the people at home what was happening on the stage while they were on the wide view. Absolute nonsense.
2: Great memories. I've never really kind of got the Commonwealth Games. It's like it seems to have way more gravitas than it should. But you know. You know, there there was a lot of. Remember, Manchester obviously trying to get it. Birmingham, numerous occasions trying to get it, and it was you know this huge disappointment when they lost out to, you know, I don't know where, like Nairobi or somewhere. Is it? There's this kind of, you know, I don't know. It just feels like a sort of second tier tournament. But no offense to any Commonwealth Games,
1: uh, ultras. I'm 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 not going to lie. I don't think they're listening, and I don't think any Commonwealth Gold uh, Commonwealth Games medal winners are listening either. So I think you're on you're on pretty <laughs> safe ground there. Yeah. Now uh, since Duncan was here we couldn't pass up the opportunity to do this in much much more depth as you heard before from Duncan it, uh, it took him uh, a couple of hours to sort through all the stats that I uh, that I requested so I, I honestly can't thank you enough uh, for doing that. Um, it's this week's Patreon bonus show which I've decided is going to be free as a taster as the sort of thing that we offer for $2 a month backers. Uh, the whole thing is on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast so go and have a look at it uh, but before that here's a little preview. From the bench, uh, because uh, I'm, I'm also fascinated by um, the idea of a Super sub. I remember Eddie and uh, went into his time. at City didn't want to be uh, branded as a super sub, and yet Mancini kept bringing him off the bench, and he kept scoring. Um, he's, he's, my hunch is him for most City go- most City Premier League goals off the bench. Is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah. He's got thirteen off the bench, which is which is very impressive. Um, he's probably I would say he's probably the best impact sub in Premier League history. I mean, also I would say one of the most underrated players in Premier League history. Um, you know, I think it's almost. It's classic Zeko that he scored the equaliser against QPR and not the winner. Do you know what I mean? He, everyone talks about Aguero's goal which, for obvious reasons, but you know, without Z- the Zeko one, it would have it would have counted for nothing. And um, yeah, he he's yeah he's he's very like Liverpool tried to do with Oregy but Zeko's a far superior player, I would say. And um, yeah, he just he you know it was eight out of ten every time I saw him play. Um, and it, I'm sort of surprised that he hasn't been brought back to, um, to the Premier League in the last season or so. I mean, obviously Spurs were keen to bring him, I think. But yeah, he. Um, I, I'm sure City fans think pretty fondly of him.
1: He's, he's one of those weird players, I think, where um, a lot of City fans only really realised what he was like after he'd gone. Um, in his final season, his final season was not memorable at all. It was quite, it was quite dour, and he, he didn't have good form in it at all. But I think by the time, when you see what he's doing for Roma now, and when you think back about the goals that he actually scored, he kept scoring at vital times, and that was, uh, that, 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 that was a key for him. And a, lot of them, a lot of them came off the bench. Um, how about players that only ever scored as a sub? Has City got any of those?
2: Yeah, a few. I mean, the most is Nelito with four out of four, which is, you know, sort of the most shrugging emoji thing I can, <laughs> you can say, really. Like, yeah, it was quite good. I mean, again, a player that promised more than he delivered, I guess. But, um, I mean, in terms of, not this isn't pure sub-goals, but um Nacho, five of his eight, came from the bench, which... Again, sort of tells the story of uh, you know him never really quite breaking into the first team as a permanent choice, but a decent enough player. Um, obviously, hasn't kicked on as well as maybe he should have at Leicester, but you know still has quite a lot of potential. But I mean, if you look at a lot of these players, you know in the history of the Premier League, the most sub goals people like Jermaine Defoe, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, you know they're players that you know Solsha was obviously eternally a sub. Defoe kind of flitted between... He would be amazing for West Ham or whoever and and then get signed by a bigger club and then have to be rotated quite a bit. So, you know, you can see why some of these players uh, are up there. But I think the the thing is that if they can... um, it's it's an attitude thing, isn't it? I mean, Solskjaer obviously didn't really mind being that option from the bench, whereas a lot of players would rather be a, a big fish in a small pond. So that's the difference.
1: Yeah. What was the quickest for City off the bench? Was it? Uh, I, I remember Go got one at Old Trafford in about nine seconds.
2: Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that was the one for City. There's been a couple. I mean, it's it's the sort of stat I don't really like in a way because um, it's a, it's a kind of skewed stat because you basically. All the ones that within a couple of seconds are guys that are brought on uh, as a substitute trot on the pitch for a direct indirect free kick and then head it straight in or whatever. So you you know from the time the ball's kicked they've probably been on the pitch like two seconds. But there's actually quite a lot of them. I thought two three seconds.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, that was Goto's uh, Goto. I think. um it was either Wright Phillips to Bernabia or Bernabéu to Wright Phillips crossed into the box and go to nods in and it was he, he he would have been on the pitch about a minute by that time. Speaking of of Old Trafford and uh, and different venues, how how many players scored f- have scored for City or or any other team? I suppose at, at both the Etihad and at Main Road.
2: Yeah, I I before I let this one up, I tried to have a guess because I. I love ground-based stuff. Um, I got two out of the four. There's four basically. So, so there's you know, only
1: four. Is that only for City or is that? Um, this is for City only. Yeah. So one of them will be Anelka, correct. Uh, one of them will be Sean Wright Phillips, correct. Um, Robbie Fowler. The two I got as well. Yeah, Fowler. Yeah. Um. Oh, struggling on that last one now. No, nope, you
2: there's can have to tell me. S- it's Paolo Wancop. Oh, of
1: course.
4: Yeah,
2: which was the one I I got like you I got an Elkin right Phillips quite quickly Fowler I probably would have got and yeah one chop probably not so yeah he's the left field one there
1: that's great I, I, he's he's someone I'm chasing as well to get on the podcast so hopefully we'll Elke. we'll hear from him in in, uh, in a few years
2: yeah yeah but I mean it's weird isn't it because you look at the the crossover I mean I had a look at the top the top scorer at Main Road for City in the Premier League era was uh, was Rosler which. Is that surprising? I don't know. Maybe, but um, City you know, spent, yeah,
1: City spent a fair bit of the Premier League era outside of the Premier the thing, League at Main it? Road. So yeah. It's
2: quite bitty the Premier League era for them. Whereas obviously since they've been at um, Easton's it's been you know continuous. So the the stats are massively skewed towards the new ground rather than the old one. But you know, um, yeah, you know, I used to live a kilometre away from Main Road and used to go down there a fair bit. And yeah, I always quite fondly remember that ground.
1: Yeah, now can you tell um, from, I don't, I don't know if the database records this, but can you tell with which part of the body players have scored? Yes. So who is City's most one-footed player, most one-footed scorer?
2: Yeah, in terms of pure goals with one foot and none with the other, it's James Milner with seven out of seven with his right foot. Um, which, for a man as versatile as James Milner is probably uh, is a little bit surprising. I know? bet he's Obviously. disappointed with that, you know. <laughs> yeah, he will be, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he'd actually be quite interested in I think which is which one of the things you have to respect about James Milner. and we, we produced a graphic a few months ago um, showing he's actually played in every single position uh, in the Premier League apart from goalkeeper obviously and maybe centre half although I think he filled in there as a substitute in one game but he's played up front he's played left wing right wing left back right back centre midfield you know he is a, a
1: marvel really a modern day utility man. Um in terms of of the flip side of that then who's the most balanced between left foot I mean, I'm going to throw the head in there as well left foot right foot and head.
2: Uh I didn't actually look that one up. I looked um at obviously other body parts which is a, a rarity. Obviously City probably got the most famous other body part goal in in Premier League history with Balotelli Balotelli's shoulder. shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, which remains one of the great goals. Um there's been there's been eight City players to score with their um with another part other than their head or feet, um, none. No one more than once. The first one was Paul Walsh, uh, and the most recent was, was Aguero. So, uh, who was, who's was
1: Agu- Could you tell who was Aguero was against?
2: Yeah, I could. I've just I closed when I restarted my computer. Uh, hang on. Um, in terms of pure headers, there's one player who scored five goals assisting the Premier League, and all of them with his head. Have a see if we can have a crack on that.
1: Oh goodness me. Um... More famous for
2: playing for another team, um, and I would say probably f- semi famously in, got into an England squad when possibly, or did he? Oh, actually, did he not get? Maybe it was tipped things where they didn't make it, but he was on the periphery of England uh, for quite a while.
1: Daniel Storage, maybe?
2: Nope. Um, it's a defender. Ah. Uh, Neddermanua? No. Earlier than that, hmm. uh, should I reveal?
1: Yeah, you're gonna have to.
2: It is Steve Howie.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, he's. I, I'm. Awesome I'm annoyed gosh. about that because he's. He's my. He's properly my childhood era as well. He was. He was signed in about 2000. um Yeah, about 2000. Uh, as they as they went back into the Premier League, and that was that was when I was really starting to get into the obsessively watching City and and taking everything in. So I'm I'm annoyed about that. <laughs>
2: Okay, so I've got the... So Paul Walsh was against QPR in 94. Then we've got Benjani against United. In fact, two of them are coming against United, which is a nice little touch. You know, if you can score against United, it doesn't matter how you do it. I guess. Yeah, of course.
1: Um,
2: then David Silva against United in 2011. Oh, that
1: was his backside, yeah.
2: Yeah. Vincent Company against Liverpool in 2011. Um... And then Balotelli's famous one against uh, Norwich. And then we've had Inacho against Swansea in 2015, uh, Leroy Sané against Watford in 2018, and then Aguero against Arsenal at home in February uh, 2019. That's the hat, that's the, is that the third one of the hat tricks?
1: Yeah, because that, 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 that was quite famously scored with his hand, actually. <laughs>
2: yes, well, there you go. We can't record hand as a thing, so other body part it is. <laughs>
0: You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
1: A preview of this week's Patreon show there. Remember, it's free to uh, to all listeners, so go and have a look. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Now, after retiring, City's current stars won't have to worry too much about how they'll pay the bills. However, for generations in the past, that wasn't always the case. And for Paul Molden, who was with the club for five years until 1989, it's been an odd change of direction. After hanging up his boots in 1999, the striker, who had brought broken records at youth level before joining City, moved into the fast food industry, opening Paul's chippy. In 2014, I went to find out why.
4: I had a bad ankle at Rochdale, uh, and the manager at the time was Mick Doherty, uh, and Mick was handing out the contracts on a Tuesday, and he said to everybody, you have to be in on the Tuesday to find out if you've got a contract for the following season. Um, I never showed because I never wanted to stay at Rochdale. I don't think I would have got one anyway, but um, I didn't want to... Um, I didn't want to carry on at Rochdale. So I never went in on the on the Tuesday to find out whether I got one or not. It quickly became apparent on a Wednesday that I w wasn't getting one anyway, for not showing on the Tuesday. Um so I just loot to loot round. Um I was getting a bit nervous at the time because my contract was coming up to an end at Rochdale so your wages were stopping. Um and my mum and dad had a shop a cheap shop, so I thought um, I enjoy cooking and I thought, well, might as well have a go at that as, as anything else, yeah.
1: And then I just want to kind of take you back to the start of your career. Um, what was it like when you were when you were coming through as a youngster?
4: Uh, fantastic, absolutely, really, really good. Good place to be. Um, good people to work for. Great club to be at. Just you can't you can't describe how, what a good situation you found yourself in. It was fantastic.
1: And there was a there was a record at Bolton Lads Club. I, I believe you uh, you were quite the proud owner of
4: yeah I believe so well I I do know that yeah but um, you know it was quickly drummed into me that that was that was kids football and you were in the big big bad world of football knowing that counts you for nothing so it, um, it was soon drummed out of me as a kid and that was probably the thing yeah yeah
1: as I say it was uh, it was 289 goals in 40 games. It's not uh, it's not to be taken lightly.
4: Surely. Um, yeah, it, it was it was it was it was a great thing. Now you know you think back about it. It was a great thing, it's a great achievement. Um, a lot of goals in a few games, um, but on a wider basis, we had three boys at that, that team play for the school boys uh, in a final fixture at uh, Wembley in Scotland, which I think really for a Sunday league Sunday clubs, I think that's what you call it, is uh, is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, when you got your break in the uh, in the first team at City, um, what do you remember of uh, of of, ma- of making that step up?
4: Well, I remember, I remember taking the Mickey out of uh Earl Barrett because what we had, you had to go at them days. There was the uh, eleven players plus one twelve substitute, and really they only ever two twelve twelve plus a young kid to to pay, take the skips off uh, off the buzz. Um and, and unpack the skit with with the physio and the, the you know the, the other people the other staff, and it was always Earl and um, we I can remember really taking a mickey out of Earl for four or five weeks before my name was up to take as as uh, kit lad with as I thought, um, and I played in the first team a couple of games but the full members cup and I thought I quitted myself quite well, scored a couple of goals um, and then all of a sudden. Uh, I got the shout New Year's Day, so the laughter was on, on Earl and not me, on, on me and not Earl, because um, it was New Year's Day, so that could tell you any New Year's party that you had in mind. Um, so I went to went to Villa, uh, stopped on the M6 for pre-match, and um, what you used to have, if you used to have chicken and beans, but if you weren't playing as, like, the kit, man, you had, you had um, chips with your, with your dinner and um, it was dead funny because Jim Melrose was sat on a different table than me, and a waitress came round about um, with it with the pre-matches, and she said, uh, Jim Melrose, and um, Jim um, said, yeah, uh, chicken, chicken, beans and chips, and he went, no, you've got it wrong, and this is not a slight on Jim because Jim was a great guy, um, it was just like, I just found it like really, really like daunting, she went, no, Jim Melrose, uh, and man, the next dinner was my dinner, and it was chicken and beans, so that that meant that you were playing. And the gaffer shouted over, he went, "No, you've got it right." And that was my first taste, probably a big, big boys football. <clears> that Jim was out the side for that day, uh, and you truly was was uh, was playing, was starting. Yeah. So
1: now you had quite a serious injury as well while you were at City, in that uh, you broke your leg in your I think it was your second season. Yeah. How did that
4: affect you, having just broken into the team? Um. Well, it was funny because again, again, it was my mate Earl that did it for me. Um, he broke it in. Um, it wasn't as much a break. It was like there was a crack in the bone, but because he did it with his knee with, with um, so much force that the, the muscle had bled, uh, and the muscle had stuck to my shin. And we'd flown back the day after. Um, we flown back the day after. We'd only gone in on the Friday to do a few sprints. Uh, it was sore, but you know you try and get through it because you're a kid and you want to play, you want to get in a team and that. Uh, and then I played at Chester on the Saturday uh, and did my knee. Um, so it was a combination of things, but the injury was nine months. It, the, the the calf had stuck to my shin, um, and but there was other things happening as well. Paul shoot was at the club and you know, so I think you know. You know whether you've been injured or not injured. You, I don't think I've would have played much that season because, you know, because of how things were with with other players coming into the club. But um, it was a big disappointment to be out for so long, um, and the way and the and the manner that I I, I, I um, got the injury, you know, sustained the injury. That was a that was a big blow for me. Yeah, yeah. When you came back though uh, next season, you were City's top scorer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, against all the odds, really, because um, pre-season. Um, I was wondering, like I was running about a club like a, a nomad. You know, I wasn't training the first team, wasn't training reserves in particular. Um, I was in in and out of every every squad and every team that was going. Uh, the team picture came on. Um, team picture day came on on the uh, playing fields at the university. Uh, I didn't even get a shot for that. Believe it or not, I was left off the team picture. Um, and I, the photographer, John, I think it was John Peters at the time. He came back in and said the picture's lopsided, we need one more player. And Tony Boot just threw me a kit and said, get your get your ass on that picture. And um and like I say, from from that, you ended up leading goal scoring. It. So it, it was a bit a bit funny. The last season was a bit funny.
0: Hear the full interview on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com
1: Paul molden speaking to me a few years ago there now uh, duncan you you'll have to explain this for, uh, for me because during football's hiatus uh, I'm letting the guests pick who the interview is that will that will replay from our archive um and I checked Paul molden never played for wickham so so why
2: well i've got a a kind of obscure love for players who who briefly appeared in the uh, in the Premier League so you know one two three or four appearances molden fits into that category, he played four times for Oldham in 1993. Uh, One start, three sub appearances. Didn't win, didn't score, didn't assist. So you know, in the, in the grand, you know, pantheon of Premier League history, he's he's barely a, a smudge on the page. But you know, still, he can turn around to anyone. who talks to him and said, you know, and says, "I I played in the Premier League," which you know, not many people can. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Does does the Opta database record how many ex Premier League players uh, own chippies? <laughs>
2: Not yet, but I would be well up for that being a new data point, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess if, for me, if I'm going to run a chip shop, I probably wouldn't want the word mould in my surname, but you can't, you know, no one's perfect.
1: That, I mean, that is that is true. Um, in, in terms of, uh, I have to ask you, because um, you've, you've lived in Manchester, uh, you said mm. before that, that, you, that you've been to Main Road um, a fair few times. Um, what a chip is like uh, down south compared to up north?
2: Uh, well, I live in London, so I'd say they're harder to find in London, but there are some good ones. Um, and the big change, I guess, is that if you, if you went to one in the 90s, there was quite a difference. So when I went to my first Manchester chip shop, it was you know, obviously quite different to a, to a southern one. Um, you know, gravy, curry sauce wasn't really readily available. Uh, in the south, but they both are now. So I think there's been a, as in, in many kind of areas of life, there's been a, a homogenisation of the chip shop industry. Um, and yeah, the the one near me in south-east London would, will probably do most things that, are, that a Manchester one will.
1: Are you a gravy man?
2: More of a curry sauce man, actually. But um, I guess probably the, big, the biggest difference maybe still is the preponderance of pickled stuff in the south. <laughs> so gherkins, eggs... Um, my my wife hates all pickled food, so I you know she, I will happily have pickled onion gherkin, even even a pickled egg, and not many
1: people will will go with a pickled egg, but you know it's just an egg. It's yeah, good. no, I'm I'm with you, I'm 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 with your wife on that one. Sorry, I'm not uh, not having it. Don't don't pickle your food. That's that's as far that that's. Why that's, that's right, mean
2: you egg. say that? But we're in a you know a corona corona time. I, that, well, that,
1: pickle- that is true. I mean, give it give it six months. I might be pickling everything. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I said before that uh, Paul Molden never played for Wickham. Are there any Wickham City connections? I could not think of any. There's
2: two that I can think of. um, And they are, last season we had Luke Bolton on loan.
1: Oh, of course, Uh, yeah.
2: Didn't, I mean, very exciting when we signed him because it was, you know, he'd obviously done okay for you in pre-season in in the US and and Guardiola had had praised him and stuff. So everyone kind of assumes, you know, he showed flashes, but I think he came into the Wickham team and we were really struggling in the Sort of late winter, early spring. We we went from sort of tenth right down, you know, to the midst of the of the relegation battle. So yeah, and, and it's very hard. I've seen it many times. You know, you get a Premier League prospect coming down to League One or League Two, and is a whole new world for them. They they kind of look round in their first game and think, whoa. What's going on here? You know, they're just these grizzled men in their 30s kicking kicking me the whole game, and the ref just sort of smiling. So, yeah, it didn't do, didn't do amazingly, but, you know, hopefully he got something out of it um, and it helped his, his development. And then the other one is Nicky Reid, who obviously played for you in the cup final um, and was at Wickham in the season that you were in League One and we beat you home away. I think he might have even played... In that game at Main Road?
1: Well, I am currently on my way to Soccer Base to find out. So, I mean, you might get there before I do. Let's, uh, let's, it's, it's, this is one of the most boring radio races that I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, Main Road. I can't see an N Read on there, I'm afraid. Let's have a
2: look. Oh, do you know what? It was earlier in that. It was under O'Neill. It was under Martin O'Neill. So it would have been. I think, oh, no, hang on. Was it? I should have probably looked this up before. <laughs> but um, let's have a look at. Wickermongers, yeah, yeah, ninety four, ninety five. so yeah, it was, that's right, yeah, yeah, he played for us, he was on the bench for us in the playoff final, I think, anyway, so yeah, he did quite well, he only played eight times for us, but kind of the reverse of a Luke Bolton figure in that he, you know, he was right at the end of his career, he had obviously played at a much higher level, um, you know, just brought a bit of kind of know-how. Martin O'Neill was particularly good at, at signing players like that, who, you know, Technically, were past their best, but had something to offer for a few weeks.
1: So, yeah, yeah, was he was he still there by the the cup game in in ninety five? Uh, no, because we 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 met in the league cup in, in at the start. Of yeah, that's 96. right.
2: That's right. We, no, he got he left that summer because that's the summer that O'Neill left the club, and, and we got the the awful spectre of Alan Smith as our manager, and he basically just binned off everyone that uh, that O'Neill had brought in, pretty much. So. <laughs>
1: Going to finish with Ask the Panel, which this week we've, uh, we've turned into Ask the Opta database because we, uh, we couldn't pass up the opportunity to do that. Um, if you want to get your questions in for next week, tweet us at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, Kira Murray's been on fire this week. He sent in a few questions. Uh, the first one uh, he says The fans don't think that Rodri and Gundogan work well together, but Guardiola continues to see something in them. So statistically, how well do they do together compared to not?
2: Yeah, I played around for ages with this, trying to find kind of a, a sharp difference, and I couldn't really see anything. There's, you know, City's record. is, is the City aren't doing anything particularly different um, when one or other is missing uh, compared with when they both play. So, yeah, I mean, Guardiola will obviously know more than, than me and than most, I guess. But um, I, I would say, from the outside looking in, um, Rodri has definitely improved a lot in the last month or two. Um, you know, was, I guess the is we're not playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. But I know. I mean, in, you know, in the, in the few weeks before the uh, the Great Pause, he he was looking a bit more um, direct, looking a, a bit more progressive. So I think, you know, and it does take overseas players quite a while to settle into the to the Premier League. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I don't think that that. You
1: know, either of them are having a a terrible season, really. Nothing nothing too much to worry about, yeah. Um, Speaking of overseas players not settling in, uh, is Claudio Bravo still as bad as City fans think? And how does Edison's patchy form compare to Bravo's overall form?
2: Well, I mean, I do feel sorry for for Claudio Bravo. He, you know, he, I don't know, it feels like he's an incredibly unlucky keeper. He Actually, he's not that bad. It's just that he seems to have a tradition where the, the first shot on target that he faces, he will always let in.
1: So he just so I'm, I'm, I, From someone who's watched him quite regularly, Duncan, I'm going to tell you, he is, he's quite bad. He's quite a bad goalkeeper. <laughs> um, I, I've said it on so many shows this season. Listeners will be sick of it. I, he just doesn't use his feet enough. He doesn't move his feet to be able to, <clears> to dive very well. So it, it looks like when, the, when that first shot beats him, it looks like he's dived and there's not much more he could do. But actually, if he'd just taken a step before he dived, he'd probably got across to it.
2: Yeah, he does he does have the look of an outfield player going in goal in, with the lack of movement. I mean, there was a point in November uh, this season where he'd faced three shots on target, conceded three goals and been sent off. Um, obviously, he <laughs> the week of the Atalanta game. But, I mean, he's just... Yeah, he is calamitous. Yeah, you know, he's, he's going to end his career in England with a lot of medals, more medals than some pretty good players ever won in their career. So... It's a it's a strange life being a goalkeeper, particularly once you're a second choice. Um, you know, and he obviously gets his run runs out in the in the League Cup. Uh but yeah, he's 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 not he's not great. I mean in terms of Edison, definitely his I guess his weakest season since coming to the club. Um he's made three errors leading to a goal this season. Uh only Djibravka at Newcastle has made more. Now the flip side to that is De has probably been the, the most impressive statistical keeper in the in the Premier League this season. We've got a we've obviously got expected goals. You can flip that round for goalkeepers, you can do expected goals on targets. So you can say historically, you know, obviously if you put a shot in right in the top corner, it's got a higher uh, percentage of being ch- scored historically than, you know, straight in the middle of the goal. So keepers making saves in difficult places you know we can we can pick that out um Dubravka's prevented more goals uh, than any other keeper in the in the league this season so i think he gets a he gets a pass for the odd error whereas i think edison he really hasn't he's kind of below par not massively below par and he's no keeper who really is abysmal and that on that metric but you know he he hasn't been at his best and I think most City fans would 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 agree with that
1: yeah it's been a it's been a, a, a kind of a I'm not gonna say a worrying season for Edison. It, it does just feel like a dip in form but there's but it's it, it kind of was was summed up by uh, the Manchester derby that I mean the last game that City played where he's desperately trying to get the ball out quickly and ends up throwing it you know straight for an open goal and it just like that sort of thing is uh it, it's just it's not happening for him this season um so,
2: yeah. yeah, I mean, we saw, we've saw we seen it a little bit with Alisson as well. Um, I mean, Alisson's issues more been... He seems to have become injury prime, which is very weird for a goalkeeper. But, I mean, obviously Liverpool's last game was that Atletico Champions League match. And, you know, we saw in that match, uh, you know, Jan Oblak is... He's not an Edison or, or an Alisson in terms of a sort of creative goalkeeper. But in terms of raw shot-stopping, he's, you know, probably almost certainly the best keeper in the world right now. So, you know, I think there has been this experiment in the last few years you do wonder whether um particularly this season when the new goal kick rule has led to certain keepers like Lloris and, and Bert Leno making some fairly high profile errors that whether there will be a kind of flip back towards the the pure goalkeeper in in the next couple
1: of seasons yeah um it's again guardiola's influence on uh, on football isn't it that? um what finally from kieran uh, what city's win percentage for each day of the week do they have a, a day yeah. of the week where they're stronger
2: yeah, um, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, it's going to be a, a day they haven't played on very often. But it's a um, Thursday,
1: isn't it? <laughs> it
2: is a Thursday. Yeah, nine games. This is all Premier League, by the way. Nine games, five wins. Pretty decent. Um, obviously, Thursday games tend to be, you know, your Christmas games if Boxing Day's a Thursday, things like that. But yeah, basically goes Thursday best, then Wednesday, fifty-one percent. Uh, then Monday, forty-nine percent. Then Tuesday with forty-eight percent. Saturday, the the classic day, with forty-six percent. Sunday, uh, also forty-six percent, but slightly lower than Saturday. Yeah. Uh, and then Friday with a, with a, only four wins out of nine, forty-four percent. To be honest, a remarkably even spread. To be honest, so that's not bad actually. Really... Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Considering as well that that city's teams across the Premier League have been wildly different.
2: Yeah. No, absolutely, and and it is very unusual that I've done this for a few teams, and you you do get certain teams who like can never win on Mondays. So the teams like West Ham and Villa have got like abysmal records on Mondays, so that you know massively skews them. I think the fact City, probably more than any other team in the Premier League era, have you know gone from you know real strugglers in the nineties to sort of mid table ish in the two thousands to sort of the best team in the country. You know that has kind of evened out their stats quite a lot um compared to some teams.
1: Yeah. Um Paul Brock asks on Twitter, uh, do the stats suggest any particularly weak players or positions in City's squad?
2: Mm, probably the goalkeepers I say, as we just discussed, um, in terms of uh you know, not doing it this season, that's been the, the main uh the main area. I guess defence as well, central defence just in terms of numbers. I mean John Stone's um, you know, is making errors as well, so possibly that's yeah your answer there but i mean the weird thing with city this season is you know that if you looked at the numbers you you would not envisage they were so far behind liverpool in the league um you know they they've outperformed liverpool in most areas so the fact that they are so many points behind is is a massive quirk and i think this is possibly another reason why if they did void the season liverpool fans would be particularly aghast because not only would they lose out on the title but that they're never going to have a season like this again. Like everything has has gone okay for them, and everything that has gone could go wrong for City has gone wrong. So it's one of those seasons where if you replayed it a hundred times, City would probably win it. You know, eighty, eighty five times. So yeah, there's not that much wrong.
1: Uh, Bob Tool asks on Twitter: uh, In City's last two title-winning seasons, what's been their most potent front three? Um, yeah, had a look at this.
2: Possibly when you when Sane's there, I think that's that's the thing that kind of really uh, you know ups the the conversion rate quite a lot, um, and I think it changes Sterling's role a bit when he's not there as well. So we did this thing uh, in a presentation few months ago about Sterling basically his first season at City was still basically playing like he did at Liverpool you know shooting from quite long range low quality shots then his first season under Guardiola still doing that a bit but starting to get closer in um, and then obviously the 17-18 and 18-19 he basically suddenly turned into this incredibly potent uh, force within the six yard box You know, he scored more goals in the six yard box than most teams did in those couple of seasons um, and that was largely thanks to you know the likes of you know Bernardo Silva, Leroy Sané being able to sort of get beyond uh, defenders and play them in, and that hasn't really happened as much um, this season. And we you know I've seen a few people point out that in games where City struggle, they tend to have a lot of crosses. You know that it's kind of their sort of plan B when it's not going well and it doesn't tend to work. And that's possibly because of the because uh, of the personnel you've got up front. So I think you know. Getting Sonny fit, keeping him, or, or at least signing someone who can do the
1: same thing as him, would be a would be a good move. Yeah. Um, Alex asks on the emails: Has any striker gone longer without scoring at home while continuing to score freely away as Gabriel Jesus did earlier this season?
2: Well, just to follow up with the Liverpool City modern rivalry, um, Roberto Firmino's on to break the Premier League record as it stands. Um, he's got eight goals away from home this season and hasn't scored at Anfield in the league. So uh, I think the record is seven in the Premier League. Obviously, technically he's broken it already but then he could obviously score at Anfield before the season ends so so yeah maybe it's a Brazilian thing um, you know <laughs> they're so used, so used to uh, you know having to go abroad to, to make their careers
1: that even even scoring at
2: home becomes you know Anathema to them. Yeah,
1: just just sweat-inducing, isn't it? And finally, one from me, uh, because it's a quirk that I noticed last night. Um, are there any two players who've got more clubs in common in the Premier League than Nicholas Anelka and Daniel Sturridge? Because I can think for them two. They obviously both played for City, uh, but both played for Bolton, West Brom, Chelsea and Liverpool as well.
2: Do you know what? I think you've actually hit on a really good fact here because I had a look and I couldn't see anyone else uh, that had five clubs in common. So that is a great shout. Obviously, you've got uh marcus bent had the most clubs he had eight but you know a variety of of uh of different teams but yeah that is a great shout and kind of kind of weirdly parallel careers as well in some respects you know nelka it's funny you think i looked at now we talked earlier about Nelka scoring at you know at main road and at, at eastlands and you know he he was at city really early you think he only broke into the arsenal team at sort of you know 97-ish um you know, it was only a few years later he was at City. He yeah, was at City was by two thousand and two, yeah. Yeah, he was already on the sort of you know he'd already been to Real Madrid. Uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a, an odd kind of career he had, and the same with Sturridge. You know, both players have immense potential, and you know, other than maybe that thirteen fourteen season, um Sturridge has never really kind of been able to find that consistency.
1: Yeah, right. Well, that's it for this week's Blooming Podcast. A special thank you to my guest today, Duncan Alexander. Duncan, where can people find you on, on Twitter and find your work, that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, everything I do, I usually link off Twitter, so that's probably the the best place. Yeah, I'm uh, at Oily Sailor uh, on Twitter. Which... Any, re- any
1: reason for that? <laughs> I get
2: asked a lot, surprisingly. No, basically, it was uh, back in the day, early, late 90s, early 2000s, when the internet was in its infancy, um, message boards were the, uh, as you probably remember, with the, um, you know, the the, the currency. The social, yeah, the social media of the day. And I just had to choose a name and I literally randomly chose that name. I did not envisage that twenty years later I would, you know
1: <laughs> it would be advertised all over the place there we go it's too late now. <laughs> lovely stuff uh, right well if you want some more of our city stats that you didn't know you needed to know then take a look at our Patreon page uh, for this week the bonus show is entirely free so you can have a listen to it in full without being a backer though if you were to sign up to the $2 a month tier for a little bit then we'd love you forever as well uh, please give the show a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and I'll be back next week I'll see you then thanks very much